welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. When Lydia and I were first married, for the first couple years, every time we went on a road trip, one of our favorite things to do while we drove was to listen to some type of documentary podcast. And in 2015, we're on our way to Lake Tahoe, and we were listening to this NPR podcast titled Becoming the Batman. And, you know, good title. And they opened the episode by saying, today we're going to tell you a story that we think is going to make you believe something that you do not currently believe. And then they go on to say, could my expectations... And this is their claim. Could my expectations make a blind person who literally has no eyeballs see? And they go on and they have this episode talking about how our expectations and our behaviors actually influence people's behaviors and people's performances. And it's a really interesting episode. And so they go on to tell this story about this guy named Daniel Kish. Maybe some of you guys heard of him. He's been claimed to bear the title of the Batman, because this man is blind, yet he claims to see. This man was raised by his mom, who vowed to never raise him out of fear. So she raised him the same way a seeing child should have been raised. So he learned how to climb trees at an early age. He learned how to ride a bike by age six. Isn't that crazy? By himself. No tools, So he first learned by going across the wall and just pushing off the wall and trying to ride. And then he eventually started to let go of the wall and push on his own. And the way he learned to see and know what was around him is by using clicks. He would do that. 
And so he would use echolocation to know his surroundings, just like a bat. Isn't that impressive? Isn't that amazing? And his mom raised him with no, well, she had fears, but she tried to not restrain him and hold him back and believe that he needed assistance like other blind kids. And he actually didn't know he was different until he met another blind kid. And so he started walking to school on his own at age 10. You know, but because of this, being raised with this type of freedom and these expectations that he could do the same things as other kids, he did run into a lot of poles. He said, running into a pole is a drag, but never being able to run into a pole is a disaster. And he was saying how when he first met his first blind kid, who was always helped around, he didn't like him because of how incapable he was. But he realized as he grew up, it wasn't his fault. It was the expectations around him that made him that way. People around him believed he needed help, believed he needed assistance. And so it made him into this person who needed to be walked around, who needed a stick and a cane to be able to see, who needed all these tools to help him. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. And the reason why I share this is because I believe the gospel... The Christian life is one of power, of triumph, and extreme freedom that we have bound up in the gospel. Yet there's so many Christians who live this life because of their experiences and expectations around them, they don't believe these things to be true. The gospel has so much power bound up in it. What did Christ come to do? He didn't just come to come and forgive us. He comes to renew us and set us free from sin and death. And so when we run into these passages in Romans 6, if the Christian is letting their experiences and the things they see around them and maybe their own flesh and their own mindset tell them what's possible, they will take these promises that God gives us and empty out these biblical promises of all their actual promises. And so when it says we're free from sin, do we really believe that or do we empty it out to mean something else? And so today my, my goal is that I would encourage you as we enter into this new year, it's a great time of just like hitting reset, laying things aside, and getting focused again. As we enter into this new year, let's make godly spiritual resolutions that are biblical, you know, commands, maybe biblical sins that we've given into that we would set to be set free from by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so most of you guys have probably got the card when you were coming in, one of these cards. On the back, there's a sentence and what I want us to do, I mean, it's, it's not mandatory, you don't have to, but, you know, it says, by the end of this year, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to be the kind of person who naturally, and you write in your response, and not who naturally does this. And so, like, for, I know for a lot of us, we kind of can be, like, judgmental, let's say, and look at people through a judgmental lens. So, it'd be, by the end of this year, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to be the kind of person who looks at people and love and care for them, not a person who naturally judges people. Make sense?
And so if you want as a way of encouragement and to see how God can change you, if it's a biblical command and a biblical thing He's calling you to, we believe that through the power of the Spirit, we're set free and able to obey God and walk in newness of life. And so you guys can keep this, write on it, keep it as a reminder throughout the year. So my goal is that as we go throughout this passage, I would answer a question for you. And the question being, some objections that Christians have is, I can't be free from sin. It's just who I am. Or maybe the the question is, are there some people who will always have to submit to a certain sin because of who they are? And I hope by the end of this message, I will answer that with an emphatic no, and we would believe that and walk in newness of life. Amen? And so, Paul is answering a question, if you look at 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers, by no means. So he's answering an objection to his gospel. People said, if you preach this gospel, this free grace gospel, if you come, you don't have to do anything. God covers all of your sin. The objection is, well, won't people just continue in sinning? If, if grace abounds when you sin, well, then let's keep sinning so that more grace will happen. The objection is, this seems like a problem. And Paul answers, so should we continue in sin? No. We are going to use this passage and this explanation because he goes on to show this beautiful reality of the Christian life. He goes on and shows this beautiful reality that every Christian has in Christ. And what we're going to use this passage for is to answer that objection. Are there some people who will always have to submit to a certain sin because of who they are? And the answer is no. So we're going to walk through this passage with two, with two main points. I'm breaking them up into three. So point number one, how can dead people sin? Point number two, we are raised and united to Christ. Point number three, consider yourself dead and present yourself alive. So point number one, how can dead people sin? So look at verse two with me. Starting in verse two through four. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And then look at verses 6 through 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. So his, his observation here is like, how can dead people sin? If you're dead to sin, how can you sin? So it's this weird, weird reality that we live in. Are you dead to sin? Then what are we even talking about? How can dead people sin? It's a weird reality that we have to wrestle with. Are we truly dead to sin? Then the reality of this and the promise that's bound up in it that he comes to, he goes, how can dead people sin? How can we who die to sin still live in it? Have you guys ever thought about that? 
Are we truly dead to sin? Are we truly alive to God? So it's this weird reality that we live in. God gives us a promise. We are dead to sin. So how can we sin? I know I'm repetitive, but I think it's helpful. I just want you guys to get it. Like, are we dead to sin? The answer is yes. Have you died to sin? The answer is yes. So then the conclusion is, how can we keep sinning? And we'll get to that later, this seeming contradiction maybe that we feel like we live in. But right now, point number one, how can dead people sin? God dealt with sin on Jesus. And in Jesus, we all die. And as we read these passages, look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so point number one, how can dead people sin? Point number two, we are raised and united to Christ. And so because of us being united to Christ, if you look throughout this passage, it's all these beautiful images of us being in Jesus and with Jesus and dying with Jesus and being raised with Jesus. Look with me, verse number three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him. And then it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look at verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Look at verse 7, or verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in who? In Christ Jesus. So there's this reality that we are dead to sin, we're united with Christ, and we're raised with Him. And so this, this picture of this union with Christ, this united with Christ, when we have faith, we are tied to Jesus in a way that everything He did, we did. So that's why this passage is weird. When we were buried with him in baptism, when Christ died, what does that mean for us? We died. When Christ was raised, what does that mean for us? We were raised. So are we dead to sin just like Jesus? The answer is yes. Are we raised to new life to be able to obey God fully? The answer is yes. Are we fully adopted into his family and accepted like Jesus? The answer is yes. Why? Because we are so united to Christ that we are perfectly in him. Just like in John 17 where he's praying for us and he's praying that God would unite us together and in him just as I are in you. So just like Jesus is in the Father and they are one, he's praying and wanting us to be one with him. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if I can. Uh, but he's praying for us to be one just like him. He wants us to be united with him. And the reality is that we are united with him. I think some of us Christians believe we're tied to him with this weak little knot. This weak little knot that can come undone whenever, you know, 
things get too turbulent. You know, I work, I work on Lake Skinner Water District, and for the most part, we're usually on the plant, just going like 20 miles per hour. When we put things in the back of the truck, we don't have to tie it down usually. But there's times where we drive off the plant, and that's when you realize we don't know how to tie things down. Man, buckets are flying out, whoop, whoop. And it's interesting, you know, we have tie downs, and, you know, I'm one of those guys that I'm not good at knots, so I need a tie down, you know, I need to crank it. Man, when it, I just have a rope, you know, this is how I feel like most of us see maybe God holding us together and us being united to Christ is the way I tie knots. Like when I'm driving and I have to rely on the knot that I tied, I'm stressed out the whole time. But see, our union with Christ is so much better and so much secure than my knot tying, right? We are united to Christ in such a way that everything He does, we do. Amen? Amen. So get that into our heads. Has Christ died? Yes. Was Christ raised? Yes. So what does that mean for us? Have we died? Yes. Have we been raised? Yes. Are we free from sin? Yes. There's this reality that because of Christ's work, and us being tied to Him through the Holy Spirit, we are united to Him in a way that will never let us go. It is a great bond. We are His body. He cares for us. He loves us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at Romans 8 real quick with me, towards the end. This passage is so powerful and beautiful. Starting in verse 35, So Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how are we tied to Jesus? With the best knot ever that will never come loose. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. And so in that same way, Christian, believer, are you free from sin? Again, when things get turbulent, the devil will like to remind you and make you think, make you think that we can fall away from His grace weekly, that we can fall away from His grace daily. We cannot we are united to Christ in such a way He will never let us go. He will never let us go. And as you start to disbelieve that, again, come to His throne in time of need and keep praying that, Lord, is this true? Yes, it is. And hear Him saying, yes, it is. Have you forgiven me? Yes, I have. I will remember your sins no more. Even though he's omniscient and he knows all things, he chooses to not ever look at your sin because it's been dealt with on Christ. It's been dealt with at the cross. So are you forgiven? Are you in Christ? Yes. Have you have faith in him? Do you believe in him? Yes. Well, then walk in that freedom. Amen?
And so point number three, lastly, point number three, consider yourself dead and present yourself alive. So look at verses 11 through 14. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So there's this weird reality, right? If, if it's true that we're dead to sin, why isn't this Christian life so effortless? Why isn't it so easy for us? And why would Paul call us then, so you must consider yourself dead to sin? Why is that command there then, if we are truly dead? If that reality is true, that we're dead to sin, and he's making this argument, it's like, how can dead people sin? Why then give this command to consider yourself and to stop presenting yourselves, your members, to unrighteousness? Well, I think a helpful comparison that's helped me throughout the years is like a, a person who has an um, amputated limb, right? What happens for the first few months, you know, six months to a year, they can have this phantom limb and this phantom pain that happens where the limb, let's say it's the arm, the limb is actually gone. The arm is literally gone, yet they feel that arm. And there's this, this pain that's happening in the missing arm. So what's happening there? Is the arm gone? Yes. Is the pain real in that arm? Yes. So what's happening there? There's this weird transition that's happening that though the arm is gone, the nerves are still connected to the brain, sending messages, pain signals to the brain, telling them that that arm is hurting. So it's this weird in-between reality that though the arm is literally gone, they are still literally having pain in that missing arm. It's pretty mind-blowing to think about. And I think it's really helpful for us. And in the same way, we maybe have worn shackles for so long, enslaved to sin for so long, that when we're called to be free from sin, even though they're off, we still feel them on us. And so we feel we have to submit. We feel we still have to submit to that old yoke of slavery. Make sense? You know, like me, like I was raised in this culture where, man, I was sexually driven and um, maybe even pushed that way at age seven, man, by this teenage boy that showed me things that I should not have been shown, did things that I should not have done. For years, I lived in that. For years, I lived into lust and pornography and this sin, and I was enslaved to it. And when I got saved is when God was saving me out of it, but I wore those shackles for so long that when I heard these promises, what I did is I said, well, these must not be able to be true because look at my reality. And so I kept putting these shackles on, even though they would never lock because I couldn't. Why? Because I was dead to sin. But I kept feeling them, and I felt enslaved. I felt like there was no way out. And I told myself, you know what? 
He can free me from these other sins, but this sin, I'll always keep it for the rest of my life. And the reason why I feel okay to share this is because I know God has freed me from it, and I also know I'm forgiven. I am justified before God. And so it does not, it does not scare me to share with you my shortcomings. It does not scare me to share with you how I failed. Why? Because I'm not accepted by my works. I'm accepted by the person and work of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And He has freed me. And it's amazing to see, as I look back on my life, the freedom that He's given me in this. And now I'm experiencing other sins and temptations, like anger with my kids that I need to get rid of. And again, I'm free. What sin has the devil pushed in your face and said, you will never be free from this? I want you to know you're dead to sin. Why? Because Christ died. And you're raised to new life, able to obey God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Christ was raised. And we are so united to Him that we have what He has. And so now the command to us is consider yourself dead and present yourself alive. So look at again verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first command, and I think all of Romans, is this command right here. Consider yourself. He's giving us the practice of spiritual positive thinking. Doesn't that sound new agey? Yeah. And man, positive thinking in the biblical sense, on that card on the front or on the back, it has... Romans 12, 2, renew your minds by the word, right? We're to renew our minds. We're called to keep our minds on things above where Christ is seated. It says in Philippians 4 that to think on th these things, whatever's pure, honorable, perfect, just, all these things, think on these things. It is amazing. The scriptures calls, a, calls us, how do we change? It starts with first knowing and believing, and then it works itself out and works and in doing. Not, we're not saved by our works, but we do see God transforming us as we believe in His promises and know them. We have to transform our minds. So not use our experiences and our surroundings and maybe what your mom or dad has told you or your teacher have told you, whatever it is, do not let what culture tells you define who you are and what you're able to do. Let the promises of God, God is sovereign, not that person that told you that. God is sovereign, not the devil. God is sovereign. So what he says happens. And what he says is true. So we must change our minds to his reality. Even though maybe our reality feels so real, that limb is gone. It's done. That old life is dead. Push the dead man off you. We are able to because we're alive to Christ. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that's where that little handout is helpful and going to be helpful this year. Write something down. You know, have a biblical accomplishment you want to accomplish. Write it down. And throughout the year, keep it on your desk, keep it on your mirror. And know that God can change you and will change you. It's a promise. And walk in that forgiveness. Walk in that grace. And then lastly, 
present yourselves alive. So look at verse 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so right here, it's really cool. There's this picture that he's giving. He's like, your members, talking about your body parts, every limb, every, your mind, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet, present your members not to unrighteousness, not to wickedness, but present your members as instruments to God for righteousness. And these instruments, it's a kind of like a war feel. You're enlisting your members for this battle. There's a battle going on, and we are called to enlist our members for a certain team, and that team being God's for righteousness' sake. And so one really helpful practice that I've done throughout the years and I try to do on a daily basis, that's, it is extremely helpful, and I encourage you guys to do it, is as I wake up in the morning, as I'm driving to work, or even if I'm not going to work, is I present my members to God as instruments for righteousness. So I'll pray for my members, my body parts, to be used for righteousness' sake. So I'll go, Heavenly Father, I give you my mind to think on things above where you are, not to dwell on pointless things or not to use it to judge people, but to think on things that are pure, lovely, perfect. I give you my mind as an instrument for righteousness. Use it. I give you my eyes to look upon people the way you would look upon them, not for pleasure, not for judgment, but to serve them, to see people who need love and care and service and to see them and go after them. God, I give you my hands to use them as instruments of righteousness, to serve people, to work heartily unto you. Whatever my hand finds to do, do it with all my might so that you may be glorified, not used just to serve myself with eating and drinking or whatever it is that I use to selfishly use my hands for. I give you my feet to go when I see somebody in need, to go and bless them, to go and care for them. I give you my whole body as an instrument for righteousness sake. And when I pray that, it is so helpful because I'm way more mindful throughout the day of what I'm doing. Way more mindful. You know, then it reminds me when I'm pointlessly taking my break watching some pointless YouTube video, like, what am I doing? I could be praying for somebody right now. Seriously, how often do I just get so, sorry, I was about to go on a tangent. I'll stop. But I'm like, man, how often do I pointlessly look at these pointless videos? It's not inherently bad what I'm watching, but it's just so pointless. I could use that time to truly bless my coworker, to pray for one of you, to pray for my kids and my wife. But instead, I'm just pointlessly using my eyes for entertainment, selfishly, pointlessly wasting my mind away. And so I just encourage you, pray that prayer. Present your members to God as instruments for righteousness' sake, no longer giving it over to the devil for unrighteousness' sake. Amen? Amen? We are dead to sin in Christ. We are united to Christ in such a way that everything he accomplishes, everything he gains, we get. Amen? And again, we get all of these things because of what he's done on the cross. On the cross, he gives of himself fully for us, all of our sin placed on him 
So every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit has been placed on Christ, dealt with perfectly, no longer to be dealt with again because it's forgiven and bound up in the work of Christ. So what sin are you dealing with? What sin is the devil placing in your face? Tell him to get out of your face. Rebuke him for that sin God will remember no more because of the blood of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you for saving us out of darkness and placing us into your marvelous light. Before you, Lord Jesus, I did not deserve you to save me, yet you saw me in my, in my filth, my sin, dead to you. And you kneeled down and you raised me up. You picked me up. You cleansed me. You cleaned me daily. You forgive me daily. You give me new mercies each and every morning. Thank you for caring for us, for all of us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the power of your son's gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your substitutionary atoning death on the cross. That everything we've ever done that has been sin, that should be punished, has been punished on you. It's been dealt with on you. You who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and calling us back each and every day. I ask, Holy Spirit, throughout this week and throughout this next year, please free us. We know you have freed us from the sins that are so present in our lives. Help us to walk in newness of life and show us and remind us some of the prayers we've prayed and showing us that how you've answered them. You are a faithful God who loves to answer our prayers. So please bear fruit through this, this community, bear fruit through this congregation, and please help us to walk in newness of life. We know you'll answer that prayer. We love you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgracemenifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.